Verse 4 of Revelation chapter 7. I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. I draw your attention to the words, them which were sealed. Them which were sealed. Chapter 7 initially surprises us because we expect seal 7 to be opened. We have seen the consequences of seal 6 being opened, and we expect now to read chapter 8, verse 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. That's what we expect to read next. The opening of the seventh seal. And this silence, which follows the dissolution of the cosmos. But we don't read of that silence yet. Instead, we get a kind of an interlude. The seals are interrupted. And we have this double vision here, these two visions in chapter 7. Now, we're not to suppose that this interlude is in chronological order, that it comes after the end of the world and the last day in chapter 6. We're not to suppose that. But these two visions in this chapter have a purpose, very important purpose. As I said, there are two visions, verses 1 to 8 is the first vision, and in verses 9 to 17 is the second vision. Each is marked by the word after. Verse 1, after these things I saw four angels. And then verse 9, after this I beheld. And that marks a twofold division. In the first vision we have the sealing of the 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. And in the second, we have the multitudes of the redeemed with the Lamb and around the throne. Vision one is on earth. Vision two is in heaven. Two distinct visions but yet they are connected. But why this interlude? I think it is to show God's redeemed people. It is to show us the church. As we studied seals 1 and 6, 1 to 6, we saw that those seals were generally all negative. The effects of the curse in the world, war and famine and death, martyrdom of the saints, and the shaking of the heavens and of the earth at the end. Terrible chapter sixes, and terrible things that accompany these six seals. A question arises what about the church? 
What about the redeemed during all of this time? And especially in the sixth seal, is the church in the dissolution. Whenever God comes and checks the earth and the nations, and they're all removed and the stars fall, does that include the church? No. The church cannot be shaken because the church is sealed with the seal of God. And the saints are ordained to be with God. No, there is a kingdom which cannot be shaken and will not be shaken when the cosmos is shaken. The church survives because the church is God's kingdom and it is guarded and protected by God. And it is so on the earth because it is sealed. The people are sealed. And it is so in heaven because they are with Christ at the end, which is far better. So these two visions show us the saved. Show us those who can stand before God and before the Lamb. And the seal six, we saw those who couldn't stand and who wanted to hide from God and the Lamb and said to the mountains, fall on us. But now we're going to see the people who can stand before God and who do stand with God. And they're shown to us in the seventh chapter. So they are showing us the saved during the inter-advent age. The saved on earth and the triumphant in heaven. These are then two visions of great encouragement for John. A different tone altogether from chapter 6. He's bound to be encouraged when he sees this. Vision 1 is the church militant. The church mustered. The church as an army terrible with banners. The church sealed on earth to do God's service. God's servants sealed. And they're working all the while on the earth. And then the second vision, the church triumphant in heaven as they pass on in death and at the last day to be with Christ and with the Lamb. And he shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And that day when God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And so the two visions are connected. The church militant on earth and the church triumphant in heaven. And it's bound to be greatly encouraging, John, in seeing them. And I trust it will encourage us tonight. And whenever we go through hard times, 
and see all these difficult things that befall us in this world of tribulation to know that we are in this body sealed by God and destined for heaven. Now I am aware that there are other interpretations to these visions, especially the first. But I take them as representations of the church, of the saved, of those who will not be crying to the mountains and rocks to fall on them. This is the community of the saints, untouched by the final judgment, the church of the redeemed, Jews and Gentiles. This is the people saved from the curse in chapter 6. This is the people of the recreation and the new creation. They are not in the, the decreation and the dissolution that we saw last week where the creation, as it were, is reversed and there's a decreation and the moon and the sun and the stars cease their light and the world ends. They're not in the decreation. They're in the recreation, the new creation. And thus we have this interlude to show John that. In case he's asking in his mind, where is the church? Where are the saints? Now he's seeing them. And he's seeing them in two parts. Now in this interpretation, there are two views. The first view is that in vision one, it is the Jewish remnant who are seen. That is the aggregate of all the Jews who are to be saved. And the vision two is the Gentiles. The nations, that's what they're called there. The nations, the multitude, no man can number out of all nations and kindreds. And so one to eight, Gent Jewish believers, the Jewish church, the Jews converted to Jesus Christ, and then the rest, uh, Gentiles from among the nations converted to Christ and with Christ. There, there is that, that school of view that sees the first part a kind of Jewish, and the second part, emphasis on the Gentiles. But there is another view, and that is that vision one is the whole church of Jews and Gentiles under the imagery of Israel. It's the new Israel. It's the church under the imagery of the Old Testament pictured as the 12 tribes, the 12 patriarchs, the church of Jews and Gentiles, but on earth the church militant. And then vision two is the same body, innumerable and unnumbered there, who are in heaven with Christ 
at the last day at the end. So there are those two slightly different shades. But I incline to the second. The first vision then is the church on earth of saved Jews and Gentiles under the imagery of old Israel. The church has a kingdom of tribes in pilgrimage marching through this world, militant in their stand for God, his servants. And then the second vision is of the same body that was on earth, but now seen in heaven with Christ. And that's the way I take it. So it's the same community under two different images. And the main thing is, in the first, they're on earth. And in the second, they are in heaven. John seen the church. We will look tonight at the first vision only. The sealing of the 144,000 in verses 1 to 8. And the thing that really stands out here is the seal. There is a seal that is used 144,000 times. It's a prominent thing. And the word sealed occurs 15 times. Now, when you get a word dominant like that in a short passage of Scripture, that's the word you are to focus in on. They were sealed. And so the title is Them Which Were Sealed. Them Which Were Sealed. Everything is revolving around that seal and that sealing. Now let us work our way down the text first of all so that we can see the vision. You can't begin to interpret it until you see it. You certainly can't apply it until you see it. So you have to see it. And this is where you have to use your imagination when you read the scriptures and especially a book like this. John saw these things. He's telling us all the time, I saw it, I saw it, and we have to see it too before you would even think what it means. So the first thing isn't to go to the commentaries to see what they think it is or what they think it means. The first thing that you have to spend time on is looking at it and seeing it in your mind's eye as clear as day to see it. That's always first. There are five angels in the vision. Four angels are standing. Standing on the four corners of the earth, surrounding the globe, affecting the whole world. And these four angels are holding the four winds of the earth. Now, this is just a vision. This is all symbolic. It has to be interpreted. But in the vision, these four angels are enfolding the globe and all the ends of the earth, the four marks of the compass, north, south, east, and west, they're holding back the four winds. And you read of these four winds in other places in the Bible especially in the book of Zechariah. 
And in the book of Zechariah, they are associated with the chariots and the horses. Now, you remember there are four horsemen in chapter 6. And those four horsemen wrought havoc on the earth. Well, here are these four angels, and they're holding back the four winds so that they are not working havoc on the earth. They're restraining the wind. Now, the wind here isn't just a wee gentle breeze. It's a stormy wind. And they're holding it back. Why are they holding it back? Now, the horsemen are still roaming. But for God's elect, there's a restraining. They're held back. A fifth angel arises. The John sees him ascending from the east, like the sun rising up from the east and ascending over. He has something in his hand. It's a seal. We're told it's the seal of the living God. And he's shouting to the four angels with a loud voice so that they can hear him. And it's given to the four angels with the winds to hurt the earth and the sea. But he says, restrain, don't hurt the earth, don't hurt the sea, don't hurt the trees. Hold back the wind till we have sealed the servants of our God in their four foreheads. So they're to hold it back until then, till they're all sealed. And then John hears the number of them. It's published somehow. He's told the number somehow. It's added up, and he's informed by revelation, I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of Israel. And then John goes down twelve of the tribes. And he's told that there are twelve thousand of Judah and twelve thousand of Reuben, so on and so forth, down to Benjamin. There were twelve thousand sealed. So that's the picture. But what does it mean? Well, the first thing that I want to point out is the word seal and the use of it in the verb seal. Now, that word seal is the very same word that describes the seven seals. The very same word. That's to be noted. Here's another seal. And yet seal. A seal within the seals. A seal that is unique. A seal that is different. A seal that doesn't have woes. Doesn't have death and hell following after it. Here's a seal that's different. A seal that doesn't bring the curse but a seal that brings blessing and salvation and is for the 
servants of God. A seal not like the seven that bring woe. And because of those six seals, the curse abounds and judgment follows. But this seal is different. That's to be noted. The next thing is that there is a restraining that allows the the elect to be sealed. The seven seals are about the woes on the ungodly. Whenever the seventh seal is sounded, we go through the whole cycle again, and the trumpets are blown, and it's about woes on the ungodly. They experience the effects of the curse, all leading to death and to hell. And there's no restraint on the curse for them. They're seals of destruction. But here in this interlude, John sees that there is a certain restraint for a certain group of people until they are sealed. That's very important. The curse is not allowed to prevent them from being sealed. And they're not allowed to die in storms and in judgments before they are sealed. This is the thing. They're kept alive. They're spurred. There's something different in regard to them in order to their being sealed. So they're not allowed to die before they are sealed. And they're not allowed to go into that hell that follows death in the other sails. No, that's all restrained for them. And I think these four winds are to be identified with the four horsemen because of Zechariah and the connection there. And those four horsemen are destructive forces that are working upon the earth that leads to much death, death and famine, death and war. But they are held back as far as the sealed ones are concerned. Now they're not held back because they are sealed. They're held back in order for them to be sealed. In other words, they're kept alive. They can't die before they're sealed. Nothing can befall them before that. God's providence is gracious to them, spurring them keeping back those destructive forces until they are saved. The hurt is restrained for one thing only, the bringing in of the elect, the sealing of God's people, and this seal is the seal of salvation. A salvation that delivers from the curse. 
and the church is not under the curse. It is under God's seal. An elect soul cannot die before God has worked in him. There are no forces on this planet that can cause an elect saint to die before he is saved. And John has seen that with all the destruction in the earth. I will build my church still. And my kingdom shall advance still. And all the stones will be gathered up and put into the temple still. And there's not a force on earth or in hell that can prevent it. That's what this vision means. And then thirdly, this sealing comes about with an angel ascending from the east, having the seal of God. The image here makes us think of the sunrise, right, ascending from the east. And the Bible talks about from the rising or from the ascending of the sun from the east. And this seal of God is being carried. It's being taken to a dark world. But it is arising like the sun. Like the light. Arising over a dark world. A world of the curse. A world of the four horsemen roaming. But yet in grace there is this sun of righteousness arising over the earth. And he has a seal. And it's a day. Because the sun arises and makes a day. And this is a day of grace. And this is a day of light. Because it's ascending out of the east. It's a day. It's the beginning and dawn of a new day. A day of grace. A day of salvation. A day of light. There's hope when something arises from the east and ascends like there. It's hope. We saw his star in the east. Hope. The wrath is restrained until the elect see the light and obtain the anointing of God on their foreheads. And so the, the son of righteousness has to arise over his people with healing in his wings. And in this vision, this angel does that. And for the purpose of seeing the picture, he's in it. But many agencies work together in God's providence to bring about this sealing. It's not just done by an angel, literally. It's done by the Holy Spirit. And there are many agencies in God's providence involved in this work. The preaching of the gospel, the ordinances of the church, the spreading of the word. But especially all accompanied by the power of the Holy Ghost working in sinners and sealing them. So the gospel and the promise must be brought to man. 
And when it is, God works in them. And by his Spirit, his elect are sealed. We're told what the seal is called. It is called the seal of the living God. The triune God. The God that has life in himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This seal, we don't know what form it takes. It may be in the form of a signet ring. And that was common in ancient times. Kings had signet rings with their seal upon them. And they would stamp the wax on the documents or on the vessels or whatever. So that people would know this is, this is mine. This is my correspondence. These are my wine jars, or these are my parcels or packages, or whatever. They're sealed with the king's seal. They're sealed with his stamp. They're identified as belonging to the king. And this seal represents God's name. In Revelation chapter 14, we see the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000. Now, there's no hint of Jewishness there. That's just all the redeemed again. Under 144,000. If you read the context of it, you'll see that's the whole church. 144,000. They're not Jews. But this number, 144,000 again. And every one of them has his father's name written in their forehead. The father's name. So this seal is the name of God. The name of God has been put upon them. They belong to God. They are his property. He has bought them. He will protect them. They are his servants and they will serve him. They are identified with God's signature. They are under his authority and therefore also under his protection. God knows his elect. He finds them in the day of gospel dawning and he saves them and seals them. And death and hell cannot consume them. And they're not under the curse. And the four horsemen do not affect them the way they affect the ungodly because they're not under the curse. They're under the seal of God's Name. The Apostle Paul is frequently referring to this seal in his theology. He says that we have been sealed. We have been given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He says to the Ephesians, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel of your salvation. This angel came. It arose. The light arose. It shone in your soul. It came with the gospel. You heard the word of truth and you believed and you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It has happened to all the saints. And the gospel was preached to them. And the Spirit worked in them. And they were saved. This is what this is. This is salvation. 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And that's what's happening here. These 144,000, they're sealed unto the day of redemption. And then in the day of redemption, you see them all in heaven with the Lamb. This is what chapter 7's about. Paul said to Timothy, his last epistle before he died, the foundation of God standeth sure, Timothy. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. He knows his seal. And they're sure. Even though I'm going to get my head chopped off, Timothy, even though I'm going to be martyred for the faith, the foundation is sure. Having this seal. I have this seal. And of course, that's comforting. But it also has responsibility as well. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, let everyone that professes to have that name on their forehead, let them depart from iniquity. We could say a lot more about what this sealing is, but it's here in picture form in chapter 7. The, the, the sign and the seal is upon the forehead. That's to be noted. The word in is literally upon. The word forehead only occurs in the book of Revelation. And it occurs eight times. It is a compound word. And it signifies in the middle or in the midst or between the eyes. Above the nose, between the eyes, on the forehead. They're sealed on the forehead. There's a sign placed upon them on the forehead. Visible. Seen by God and seen by them. Visible. And in Revelation 14, as I said before, having his father's name written in their are upon their foreheads. And Revelation 22, verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be upon their foreheads. It's upon their foreheads. At the start, when they're first sealed on the earth, at the end, when they see him face to face, it's still on their foreheads. This name... This signifies something visible. It's there to be seen. They are sealed so as to mark them out as the Lord's, and therefore they are to not be harmed by the woes of the curse. God has marked them out. The four horsemen and all those destructive forces, they do not have the same in relation to them. Now they die and they're martyred and they have problems in life, yes. But they're all blessings in disguise. Not the curse. They have God's mark. Now what Mark John was actually seeing, we do not know. We only know where it was placed. 
Now, the ancient commentators, of course, they saw a picture of baptism here. That sign and seal of the covenant visibly applied in the name of God, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we know that baptism is a sign and seal. It's a sealing ordinance. And baptism put God's name upon us in a sign form. But baptism, of course, only signifies the reality. And there's something far more beyond the sign. And this seal here is, there's more beyond this seal here. This, this seal just isn't a seal. It signifies so much. And baptism's like that. It, it's maybe put upon us, but it, it signifies so much. And it's a visible ordinance. And all God's people have been baptized. Now some have pointed out in relation to baptism that it is not necessary to apply the mark to the whole body. It's not necessary. By immersion, but application to the head by pouring or sprinkling is a lawful mode. As long as the sign is applied in the name of God. Now that's what some of the commentators say in regard to this. But baptism is not the substance of it. It's just the sign and seal. There's, there's a greater reality taking place. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. The thing is, they have all been baptized into Christ. They've all been worked upon by God. They've all received the work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has sought them out. The Lord has found them. He's redeemed them. And he shall never leave them. And none of them shall be hurt of the second death. Not one. Now the thing that is very important in this vision, and that is fairly major, and that takes over half of the vision to describe, is the definite number and the precision whereby they are identified. Now, that runs from verses 4 to 8. That's over half the vision. About the number of them, they were sealed. And we see the number of them. And we see where they're from, where their roots are, what tribe they come from. And every one of them's numbered. 144,000. And it's a very definite number. And it's so unlike the next vision, of course, where it is an innumerable number. And their place and location is identified as well. Whereas in the next vision, they're from all the nations and all kindreds and tongues. And as we look upon them, that's just what it looks like. Innumerable and from everywhere and from all directions. But whenever God goes to work in them, he knows his sheep by name. He knows them one by one. He knows where they're from. He knows their roots. He knows where to find them. He knows where to seek them out. Every one of them's numbered. Every one of them's named. It's precision. A definite number. Whenever God comes to seal them, the number is known. He knoweth 
them that are his. He knoweth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. And that's literally true of the stars. But I tell you this, God means far more than that when he talks about numbering and naming the stars. He's talking about his people, his lights in the world. The number is symbolic, I believe, not literal. Drawn from marching Israel. The number is used only once here and once in Revelation chapter 14. And if you read there, they're standing with the Lamb, and there clearly are all the redeemed, and there's not a hint of Jewishness there. So this, this is the same body. Now clearly there are far more than 144,000 that have been seen by the Holy Spirit. I mean, is that number of Christians on the earth today? No question. Way beyond it. And then this is the church over the inter-advent age. It says literally innumerable. But God knows the number. But he doesn't tell us. It wouldn't make anything to tell us the whole number. He gives us a symbolic number to tell us it is incomprehensible, yet fully known by him. There are some peculiarities about the tribes identified and the order in which they're given, and I don't want to go into that. But just the number I'm thinking about, picturing the complete fullness of the church, the number consists of the number 12 squared, 144. And then the number 10 cubed. And the product of those two 144,000. So the squaring, the cubing, the multiplying, in a way that tells us of fullness and completeness and perfection. And the church is a full and a complete body in the mind of Christ as he sees it, that he bought with his blood. He saw the 144,000. He saw all the members that he redeemed by his blood and to whom he sends his spirit in time as he arises as the son of righteousness with the healing in his wings. Not one of them is missing. Not one that will make the number odd. And all are known and everyone's accounted for at the end of the day. Twelve is symbolic of the church. 144, the completeness of the church. And then multiplied by 10 cubed, perfectly complete. The Old Testament church and the New Testament church. Not one lost. The Amalekites don't get one of them. Not one of them perishes in the wilderness in unbelief. They're all sealed, they're all saved, they're all secure. No matter how bad things become in the world, the Lord keeps them. And none of them is lost. Not one. And so that's what is, I believe, represented here in this vision. No matter how bad things become in the world, brethren and sisters, 
the Lord will be sealing his own. And he'll be bringing them in. And he'll look after his people. And he'll bring them all to heaven. And that's what John sees in the next vision. A great multitude. Which no man could number. In the first vision, God numbered them. I heard the number of them. Clearly symbolic. But in the second vision, no man can number them. It's a great church. And so John must be comforted and encouraged. And I'm sure he needs that encouragement before he goes on to see the seven trumpets.